So the last few times that I've spoken, I've been speaking about the nature of God, different characteristics of God. Last time I spoke about God is love. And today I'm speaking about God is awesome. God is awesome. So let's just have a look at a few verses that refer to the awesomeness of God. So Psalm 47 verse 2, the Lord most high is awesome, the great king over all the earth. Psalm 89 verse 7, in the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Psalm 68 35, you God are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. What an awesome God we have. <clears throat> but what does awesome mean? It's not a word that we use a lot these days, but when we do, it can just mean, oh, that's great, that's fantastic, that's pretty good. Well, perhaps we ought to look at a definition of awesome. So this is the dictionary definition. Causing or inducing awe, inspiring an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, or fear. Now, the biblical definition of that word that's translated awesome in those passages we've just read, which is the word yore, is similar. It says to fear, to revere, be afraid, to stand in awe of, <clears throat> to be awed. To fear, reverence, honor, respect, to inspire reverence or godly fear or awe. To make afraid, terrify. Well, when we look at the way that this word yore is translated in different versions of the Bible, we can appreciate its meaning more fully. So if we go back to Psalm 47 verse 2 and look at the way it's translated. So the NIV version is the one that I, I gave originally. The ESV says, for the Lord the Most High is to be feared a great king over all the earth. The King James Version says, for the Lord Most High is terrible. Now that would make a great poster on your wall, wouldn't it? God is terrible. Um, I did say to Daryl, we were talking about the worship, and um, he did say he didn't know any worship songs that said about God being terrible, but I did find one, actually. Um, uh, but we won't sing it. Um, and then Martin said to me, I'm going to write a song about my terrible wife. <coughs> <clears throat> but anyway, I'm not quite sure how to take that. But if we want to know God, we want to know the fullness of who he is, then we really need to grasp the awesomeness, the fearfulness of God. Now, we all know what fear is, don't we? We've all experienced fear, and it's not a pleasant experience. So should we really fear God? Well, we can't get away from the fact that the Bible is full of commands to fear the Lord. Here's just a couple. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does your, the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And the word, used, the word fear is, here is the same word, yore, translated awesome in the verses we've just looked at. But this isn't just an Old Testament command. If we look at 1 Peter 2, verse 17, Peter says, Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. 
Now, in case anybody thinks that Peter meant something different, that word fear comes from the Greek word phobos, which we get the word phobia from, and it means fear. So we can't, we can't soften the blow, I'm afraid. <clears throat> now, I don't know about you, but when I've tended to think about the fear of the Lord, I suppose I've thought about reverence and honor and respect and I feel quite uncomfortable about the concept of fear. Anybody else agree with me on that? doesn't feel quite comfortable, does it? But we can't get away from the fact that the Bible uses the word fear. Now, I've been wrestling with this over the last few weeks, trying to understand it, reading it, praying about it, studying the Bible. And I have to say, I don't think I fully grasped it. So if you're expecting some kind of wonderful exposition this morning, what I want to share with you is what I've learned so far and what I feel perhaps will be helpful in helping us to understand. But we're going to pray now because I believe we need the revelation of the Holy Spirit to help us to grasp this. So let's just pray. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you that God you help us to grasp the truth of who you are. And so, Lord, I pray today, Lord, we want to know you. We want to know you in all your awesomeness, your fearfulness today. Will you help us, Lord, to grasp it afresh, as much as our tiny brains can today, to know our response to you, Lord God, that we may honor you and fear you and reverence you as you deserve in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so last time I spoke, I spoke about God is love. And it seems hard, doesn't it, to reconcile a God of love with a God who wants us to fear him. In fact, I'm sure that many of you, when I mention that, will think, yes, but there's that verse in the Bible that says, perfect love casts out fear. Well, let's have a look at it. <clears throat> so 1 John 4, verse 17 this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So when we surrendered our lives to Jesus, when we asked him to forgive us and to cleanse us um, and we accepted his salvation, we no longer need to fear punishment. Jesus has taken that punishment upon himself. When we received his salvation, his cleansing, his forgiveness, he, we received the pardon for our sins. <clears throat> so this fear is not, the, the fear of judgment, the fear of punishment is not the fear of the Lord. We do not need to fear judgment. We do not need to fear punishment. People who don't know God have got a good reason to fear that. But we don't because we've been forgiven. Now in the Deuteronomy verse we just read, God tells his people to fear him and to love him. So this kind of fear is not incompatible with love. In fact, it seems that fearing the Lord is part of our expression of love for him. <clears throat> so what does it look like to fear the Lord? Well, I'm going to look at a lot of scripture today. Apologies to Paul, who's doing a fantastic job on the data, because there are quite a few slides. But I really feel that actually it's, we need to look at what the Bible says. You don't want my view, you want the, what the Bible says. And hopefully that will become clear. 
So first of all, the fear of the Lord is a response to the character and authority of God. So Exodus 15:11 says, "Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders?" 1 Chronicles 16:25, "For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods." You know, I wonder if perhaps sometimes we become a bit over-familiar with God. We think we know him. We think we know what he's like. Perhaps we even sometimes think we can predict him. Perhaps then what we do is we lose that sense of the awesomeness of God, the fearfulness of God. God is our loving father. Jesus is our friend. That is absolutely true. But he also is the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, absolutely invincible God who has no beginning and no end, who is the almighty ruler of the universe. Do we ever feel like David when he writes in Psalms 8? When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. It's that sense of, wow, God, you are all of that, and yet you care for me. When we consider his greatness, his majesty, his glory, his, glory, his holiness, our response should be awe reverence and awe but it's not just about the greatness of his person it's a response to his position as king of kings and lord of lords jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth everything is under his feet now i don't know about you but when we look at society today it seems to me like there's been a loss of respect there's not a lot of evidence of respect for those in authority is there these days less and less so. Those of you who are teachers here or work in schools, I'm sure will agree that young people coming up don't seem to have the same level of respect as people did perhaps of our old age. I remember when our, our girls were in sixth form saying, uh, just commenting on how the year seven's coming up, how they spoke to them. And they said, we would never have dared speak to the, you know, the big kids like that. There was a complete lack of respect. It used to be that people in authority, teachers, police officers, medical professionals, church leaders, I don't know about politicians, maybe, maybe not, would have been held in respect by their communities, by the people that they served. Even people of an older generation would have been held in respect by younger people. And it feels like we've lost some of that. There's been a loss of that. There was a respect tinged with a healthy dose of fear for those in authority. And, and it feels like now our culture has lost that sense of respect. Now it's all about me. What I do, I can do whatever I like and you can't tell me what to do. Now if we're not careful, that culture can affect our, us, the church, and the way that we re relate to God. We can lose our reverence, our healthy fear of God as the one who is all-powerful and has all authority. 
But the Bible doesn't just say that we should fear him because of his majesty, his holiness, and his power and authority, but also seems to suggest that we fear him as a response to his goodness to us. So 1 Samuel 12, 24 says, But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Jeremiah 32, 38 says, They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. I will never, and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. God is almighty. God is majestic. He is holy, and he chooses to bless us. He chooses to do good to us. So we fear him also out of gratitude for his graciousness towards us, that he would delight to do good to us. So the fear of the Lord, then, is a response to his authority and power and greatness, but also to his goodness. But secondly, the fear of the Lord affects our approach to God. It affects the way we come to God, the way we come before him. So Isaiah 66, 2 says, Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And that tremble means to tremble with fear. Proverbs 28, 14 says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So Daryl spoke a few weeks ago about humility and repentance. The fear of the Lord comes from a humble, repentant heart, from someone who recognizes their need um, for forgiveness because of their sinfulness. It's about having a soft heart that's open to God, allowing the Holy Spirit to work and transform us to become more like Jesus. God wants all of us, all of our heart. Daryl spoke about having an undivided heart, and he read Psalm 86, 11, <coughs> which says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. We read earlier from Deuteronomy 10, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? So fearing God is wholehearted. He wants all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Hebrews 12:28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And that word for awe there, the Greek word, means godly fear. And the word worship means to serve, to minister. So this isn't just talking about what we do as we sing together on a Sunday. It's talking about everything that we do for God, to minister to him, to serve him. So Paul is quoting Moses here from Deuteronomy 4, which says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God is a jealous God. Moses is warning the people not to worship any other idols when they were, or any other gods when they go into the promised land. God is jealous for our hearts because he loves us. He wants all of us. He wants everything. 
The fear of the Lord is a fear of making God jealous. We don't want to make him jealous of us because we're giving our attention, our love, our adoration to other things. So when we fear the Lord, we'll approach God wholeheartedly with a humble, repentant heart. And we won't have a casual attitude to his presence. John Piper says, The sheer majesty of God, as well as the holiness and justice and power and wrath of God, cannot be approached in a cavalier spirit. It would be insane to think we can just stroll up to the creator of the universe and have a cavalier spirit. We are blind if we think we can do that without trembling. What is our attitude towards being in the presence of God? Are we coming wholeheartedly, humbly, in repentance, putting him first above everything else? The fear of the Lord also leads us to want to avoid sin. So Proverbs 6 verse 6 says, Through love and faithfulness sin is atoned for, through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. And then 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let's cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. It's amazing, isn't it, to know that we're forgiven, that we're cleansed. We're made righteous. The problem is that what that can lead to is a sloppy attitude towards sin. It's okay. I just ask for forgiveness. God will forgive me. It doesn't really matter. But our God is holy. He detests sin. He can't come near sin. That's why we needed to be forgiven and cleansed in the first place in order to have a relationship with him. He cannot draw near to sin. So whenever we sin, we affect our relationship with him. So we need to be confessing our sins quickly and regularly. Now, when I was a child, I wasn't afraid of my parents. I knew I was loved unconditionally. But I did fear displeasing them. I didn't want them to be disappointed with me. I didn't want to let them down. I didn't want to upset them. The fear of the Lord is the fear of grieving God. We fear displeasing him. So we have forgiveness of sins when we come to Jesus, but the fear of the Lord gives us a desire to avoid sin, to stay away from it. And if we don't fear God, we won't hate sin. Not because of the fear of punishment, as I said, but because of the impact on our relationship with him, because we know he hates sin. A.W. Tozer says, when men no longer fear God, they transgress his laws without hesitation. The fear of the consequences is no deterrent when the fear of God is gone. So fearing God means pursuing holiness and hating sin. But it also, the fear of God also inspires us to want us to obey God. Deuteronomy 13, 4 says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not all, only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The meaning of this passage is clear. There is a right sort of fear that leads to action, that leads to us wanting to obey God, to work at becoming more like Jesus. Now, we know we do not receive our salvation by works, okay? There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. We receive it by faith. But there is still something for us to do. There is still something that we can do to pursue Jesus, to grow, to become more like him. And when we fear God, we desire to obey him, to become more like him, to become more holy, to become everything that he saved us to be. The fear of the Lord also affects our attitude towards others. So respecting and honoring God will also affect the way we behave towards one another. Leviticus 25 says, You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. 1 Peter 2.17, we read this earlier, Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. And then Ephesians 5.21, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that word is phobos again, fear. There is a change that God brings in our attitude to one another as we fear him. I've been reading Nehemiah this week, and in Nehemiah 5, we read about how the people of God have been treated by previous leaders. And then Nehemiah says um, about that their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Out of fear of the Lord, he changed his behavior. He acted in a, a different way. It affected the way he treated God's people. So when we respect, honor, reverence, and fear God, we will treat others differently. The fear of the Lord also brings revelation, wisdom, and knowledge. There are many references to the connection between the fear of the Lord and wisdom and knowledge, but I'm just going to look at a couple. So Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Psalm 25, verse 12. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. But I love this verse, a couple of verses later in Psalm 25. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He, and he makes his covenant known to them. That word confides, it means a level of intimacy. It's about conversation between friends. The fear of the Lord brings revelation. It brings understanding. It brings knowledge, guidance. But it also puts us in a position to hear from God, to have a deeper level of intimacy with Jesus. <clears throat> now, if you're counting, this is next point is point seven. I deliberately didn't tell you how many points there were because I know, you know they are short. But anyway, so we're on point seven. The fear of the Lord results in blessing. So there are many, many references to the blessings that come when we fear the Lord. Here's just a few. Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Psalm 128, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Psalm 147, 11, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And then Acts 9, 31, 
Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. There's something significant about the fear of the Lord, something that results in blessing in our lives, individually and as a church. The fear of the Lord is the key to our blessing. Finally, the fear of the Lord leads to freedom from fear. So Luke 12. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus says, fear God, don't be afraid. Seems something not quite right there. But what he's saying is the God we fear loves and cares for us so that we don't need to fear anything else. Charles Spurgeon said, he who fears God has nothing else to fear. And Oswald Chambers, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. There's so much in this world that is scary, isn't there? But we don't need to fear because our God is bigger. He's stronger. He's greater. He's more powerful than anything we can face. And ultimately, this life, whatever happens, will end. And we will spend eternity with him. A number of years ago, I was praying um, just for more boldness, really, in my witness. And God really challenged me that when I fear man, I'm making man God. Because I should only fear God. And then as I was preparing for this, I found these quotes, and, and it just really explained, really, what God had said to me. So John Bloom said, The person whose reward of approval we desire most whose curse of disapproval we fear to receive is the person we will obey, our functional God. Basically, what he's saying here is that when we fear man, we change our behavior. We allow them to influence us in order to gain their approval, to gain their acceptance. So we basically, we're giving them authority over us. We're making them a God. He says, the person to whom we ascribe most authority to define who we are, what we're worth, what we should do, and how we should do it, is the person we fear the most, because it's the person whose approval we want the most. Whose approval do we want the most? I find that really challenging. He then goes on to talk about God's commands to love the Lord your God with all our, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he, and he says this. They're commanding us to seek the massive eternal reward of God's approval more than puny man's fleeting approval. To fear the terrible eternal curse of God's disapproval more than puny man's fleeting disapproval. They're commanding us to direct our love and fear to the right God. Clear, isn't it? It's a challenge, isn't it? It is to me. Do I fear man more than I fear God? 
Is man's approval and opinion more important to me than God's? Jesus' command is clear. Don't be afraid. Fear God. Richard Halverson said, Men who fear God face life fearlessly. Men who do not fear God end up fearing everything. And this quote, which I can't remember where I found it from, so apologies, I can't give uh, <coughs> correct allocation. As we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, the fear of man, the fear of failure, the fear of unseen forces, the fear of the unknown. Can anybody kind of identify with any of these as we're going through? The fear of death, the fear of looking foolish, the fear of rejection will become insignificant as we walk in the fear of God. Loving and serving him with all our hearts, with all our bodies and our souls, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. It's quite clear, isn't it? Deuteronomy 7.21 says, Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is a great and awesome God. We have an awesome God among us. Therefore, we do not need to be afraid. <clears throat> So in conclusion then, there is no doubt about the call to fear the Lord. We can't get away from that fact, folks. And I hope that what we've looked at today has helped to understand what the fear of the Lord looks like in our lives. It's a challenge, isn't it? But it's also a blessing. So Isaiah 33, 5 to 6 says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness, Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. This is his treasure for us, the fear of the Lord. And then the prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 11 says, The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So Jesus, as a human being, walked in that humanity in obedience and humility and fear of the Lord. It was a delight to him. And I believe God wants it to be a delight to us too. God is awesome. It's our privilege to honor, reverence, and fear him because of who he is and all he has done. Because when we rightly fear him, we don't need to fear anything else. So let's pray, shall we, that we can grasp what this means to us. Because I believe this is a significant thing that God wants for us. It wouldn't be in the scriptures, full of, full of it, that we need to fear the Lord if it wasn't so important. It changes the way we come to God. It changes our attitude to his presence, the way we come before him. It changes the way that we, we act, our obedience, our desire to avoid sin. It changes the way we respond to the people around us and treat others. And it leads to great blessings, including freedom from fear. So shall we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you. God, that we can know you. Lord, you are awesome. <laughs> there is no God like you. And God, we recognize that we don't always hold you in that position of awesomeness, fearfulness, that perhaps we should. God, will you help us to understand what this means for us? To understand 
how to fear you. We thank you, Father, that your promises are to us that when we fear you, we will be blessed. That when we fear you, we need fear nothing else. Lord, will you challenge us and help us where we have feared other things and other people and made them our gods, in effect. Lord, may we fear you above everything and everyone. We worship you, awesome God, awesome God. We worship you. Oh, God, thank you, Lord, that we can know the awesome God who is above all, beyond all, and within us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship him, our awesome God. Amen.